Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, I'm gonna talk about 10 tasks that you maybe don't have to really worry about too much when you're starting your niche site. Now, this is based on a post that one of my friends, a student from Five Figure Niche Site, wrote. Her name's Christy. She's been on the show a few times. She's making, I'm not 100% sure of her like last month's earnings, but she's doing pretty good. I actually was texting with her just the other day. She's making, I know, at least over $2,000 per month. And the cool thing is after the Google update and after the April Amazon commission rate change, she's still making about the, the same or moving up just a little bit which seemed very interesting to me. So she had a pretty, you know, blended monetization schedule. And I'm going to talk about the things that she sort of identified that she really didn't need to work on. Now, if you are, if you're watching over there on YouTube, I am also recording this on my Zoom. What is this? H4N recorder. And if you are listening, I am, I am, recording video because I have a, a better sort of studio setup so I don't have to like fumble things around and it's just on a tripod over there hooked up to a hard drive and the cool thing is I'm using this microphone the sort of workhorse a lot of people have this Audio Technica ATR2100. This microphone has an XLR input and a USB hookup. Turns out you can hook it up to both of those at the same time, it sends output to both. So I can record in two places at the same time. Now I really don't have to do that, but it also means I don't have to edit the soft, I don't have to edit any of the files. With the H4N, I could just put the SD card directly into, you know, whatever um, laptop in my laptop, upload it, master the audio, it automatically, you know, goes into my system, which is like my VA gets it. She gets the finished file. She edits um, or creates the WordPress post so that the, the podcast can go out. And then because I'm recording in the way I am, people over on YouTube, you see me pointing at you. I, I have a finished file and I'm going to try not to fuck up so I could just upload it. It will be good to go. Technically, I should do, you know, a thumbnail and some other business like that, but um, my VA will do it. So technically, this is like pretty bare bones. I don't have to do anything. I just record and then the files are pretty much ready to go. Again, I'll try not to mess up. We should be good. Interesting thing. I've been off caffeine for about a week. Technically, I had decaf this morning and technically, I probably got 10 milligrams or less of caffeine but I feel pretty good. It's like the afternoon. And most of the time when I drink caffeine by, you know, after three, I I can't think very well. I don't want to record anything. I'm like, I I just want to sit down, chill out and have a beer. Now it doesn't mean I can't have a beer. In fact, because I'm sitting in front of a computer and I'm recording this in the fashion that I am, I'm going to be able to tell you a little bit more about the beer that I'm drinking today. Don't worry. I'm going to get to the topic but this is from the Left Hand Brewing Company, which happens to be, I think it's like 1.2 miles from where I live. I can technically walk on the Greenway and just walk over there, ride a bike, and it's it's so close. Left Hand is awesome. I've loved them for years. 
even before I moved to Longmont, but they're literally down the street. I have a keg of Sawtooth Amber Ale. The tagline is the perfect balance between chewy malt and herbal hops. This is their original flagship Sawtooth Amber Ale. Continues to stand the test of time. Enjoying a pint is like playing your favorite classic album. Nostalgic, influential, and a journey to be enjoyed from beginning to end. Chewy or malty chewiness slowly transitions over to herbal, earthy hops that make way for the crisp, dry finish of this multi-award winning ale. Proving beer can be both complex and balanced since 1993. And they actually have a few more details. It is an amber ale, 5.3 ABV, 27 IBU. That's International Bitterness Units. The color is amber. You could drink it in a pub glass, which, yeah, I'm, I'm drinking it in just a straight up, you know, pint pint glass, sort of the utility glass that you see. The malt for the brewers out there is two-row, crystal, Munich, wheat, and black malt. They don't specify the love bond of the crystal malt. The hops are CTZ, U.S. Goldings, Willamette, and Cascade. They recommend the drinking temperature to be 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And I think my, well, I've, I've I had about half of it so far, but I think it's warmed up to about 50. Pretty tasty. I keep my kegerator kind of on the warmer side too, because I, I usually drink beers that should be consumed around 50 degrees. So, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and their site speed accelerator is awesome. I recommend you check it out. You should use the DNS server. So that's the best way to use it. And I started asking uh, some of my contacts over at Ezoic, hey, why do you have to use the DNS servers? I was a little hesitant to, you know, turn over that control. Some of my audience, they've asked questions. Hey, that seems like too much control to give some other third-party company. And when you think about the SiteSpeed Accelerator, which you can get a seven-day free trial, it kind of makes sense. With the SiteSpeed Accelerator, you are using their caching and their CDN. That's the content delivery network. A CDN basically allows the uh, servers all over the world to load the images and some of the other files, whatever files need to be loaded. Those servers are physically located closer to whoever's trying to download it and view your site. So basically it's kind of the same as using Cloudflare, which to my knowledge, that that is exactly <laughs> what's going on. Ezoic is using like Cloudflare on on the other side. And basically when you use the DNS servers for the site speed accelerator, you end up laying on or Ezoic is laying on top of the WordPress technology stack. I'm I'm making up words here. I think that's kind of the idea, but Ezoic is sitting on top of WordPress. So there's fewer conflicts. You probably know the more plugins you use, the more conflicts <laughs> just occur. It's like having a bunch of kids arguing or something like that. Not really sure. That makes sense though, I think. So anyway, don't be afraid to use their DNS servers. There's a seven-day free trial. Link in the description. You can check it out. Thanks to Ezoic. Let's get to the topic of the day. So 
As I mentioned, Christy is successful. She's been running her site for, it's, I guess, is it a year and a half? She started her site in the fall of 2018. So it's about a year and a half. She had a marketing background, has a marketing background, but she didn't know anything about affiliate marketing. She's done a few interviews and you can find them on the podcast, on YouTube. You can read more of her stuff over on the on my blog, Niche Site Project as well. And she identified 10 areas that she shouldn't have wasted time on or advises you not to waste time on. So I'm gonna hit the points that she mentioned and I'm gonna give my commentary as well. There's a couple of things I may not agree with completely. And, and one cool thing, you know, I asked Christy to write this and a few other students of mine have written content for Niche Site Project and I pay them. I pay them and and part of the deal is, well, it lives on the blog, you know, paying you good. I'm paying, you know, very good rates because I I want them to take it seriously. And they're very good writers. I mean, some are pro writers like Christy, like Evan Porter, stuff like that. And, you know, the other cool thing is I said, hey, I'm probably going to repurpose this, maybe talk about it on YouTube, maybe talking about it on the podcast. That's what we're doing right now. So... I'm going to sort of read some of her uh, stuff here so you could hear me reading out loud, but it should be better than normal, I think. She can write complete sentences, and that's really helpful when you're trying to read. It's easy to become overwhelmed when you're starting your first niche site. You sign up for courses, maybe you join Facebook groups, you look at tips online everywhere. Maybe you're looking at a podcast, listening to a podcast, looking on YouTube, and you want to do everything right. You're worried that you're going to miss out on on one little thing and you're going to mess everything up. And it feels very serious and it feels like you can make some serious mistakes. From my perspective, this is Doug talking, from my perspective, you really just don't want to make any catastrophic mistakes that you can't recover from. Generally, you're going to make little mistakes along the way constantly. Even as you're getting better, you're going to make little mistakes. They will happen. So as long as you can recover, you're going to be okay. Christy says, uh, reflecting on my first few months, I now realize that many of the tasks that I assumed were must-haves really weren't. There were quite a few items that I didn't need to prioritize in the early days, and that's what this topic is all about. And basically, there are things that can wait till later. She's She also mentions... These items can be valuable and you may want to spend time on them at some point, but they don't necessarily warrant a spot on the list of make or break essentials when ramping up a brand new site. First, number one, agonizing over your niche. Now, wait, isn't that the most important thing that you need to do in the beginning? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, you need to do some competition research to ensure there's enough buyers, keywords. Oh, sorry. Let me let me read that correctly. You need to do competition research. You need to ensure there's enough buyers, keywords, and do a gut check about whether this you could whether this is a topic that you actually can spend time on. But you don't need to spend time agonizing for ages. Christy allowed herself to become afflicted with analysis paralysis. And she knew what she wanted to do for her niche at day one. And she spent weeks second guessing and tried to force her niche to 
basically be checked off for every box that anyone ever mentioned that you should check out for a niche and niche selection. The lesson learned is that if you're passionate about a particular niche and you don't see a ton of big competitors, or you can at least think of, and if you think of three ways to monetize the site over time, just go for it. And I'm stumbling over my words because I'm, I'm thinking about me right now. I'm going to be starting a new site in inside the course that I'm teaching. It's coming up pretty soon here. And in, in fact, I, I think it's coming out like the, the week that this podcast will be published. And then after that, you'll be able to enroll in the future. Just, I think, you know, probably most of the time when you want to check it out. And the thing is, I'm going to be starting a site alongside the students and it's going to be scary. It's highly competitive. I may not even get as much traction as some of the students early on because it's so competitive, but it's something I'm interested in, passionate about, and I'm in it for the long haul. And that's kind of what Christy's saying here. Now, it is important to pick the right niche or at least one that's not going to be a complete you know, piece of shit, basically. Sometimes they suck. Sometimes there's not enough products. Sometimes it's just not something that you can work on long-term. Occasionally, it's just way too saturated and competitive, but usually you can always carve a spot. Now, the times when people hit that paralysis point, usually they're looking at three perfectly viable niches with plenty of keywords and any of them would be totally fine. And they're trying to figure out what the absolute best one would be. And it really doesn't matter. You don't have to optimize to that level. You just need something good enough to like move forward on. And again, as long as you don't make any like catastrophic mistakes, you're usually okay. You usually can pivot, recover, adapt, and just be flexible. So keep that in mind. The niche is super important, but as long as you're okay in a few areas, you're okay. You can move forward. Number two, falling into a keyword research rabbit hole. Hold up. This too, no matter your niche, we can all agree that quality keywords are critical, right? Yeah. Keyword research is a must have, and you do need to spend some time here up front. You got to make sure there's some good keywords, but no, you don't need to spend weeks on end finding more and more keywords with spreadsheets, with hundreds or even thousands of keywords. Yes, I've heard people find finding thousands of keywords before they even start their niche or even select it for sure. You, maybe you're out there calculating the keyword golden ratio for each one and assigning each one some sort of a priority level, like when you're going to publish it. And you're, you're really agonizing on like all these details. Yeah, it's great to have a giant list of keywords to pull from, but you don't need to have that many and you don't need to spend that much time on it. If you're anything like Christy and you're worrying that you're going to forget about all those great topic ideas that came to you at three in the morning, you can put them into a spreadsheet and come back to them later. So the lesson learned here is come up with like 30 to 50 keywords to target initially, then just pause on the SEO and the keyword research. I guess keyword research is the exact term 
while you write the articles. You don't need to dive so deeply into keyword research that you never actually write the content. A bunch of keywords are not gonna do anything for you if you don't publish any content. And it's funny, I have, I don't know why people fall into that trap. They're like, oh, actually maybe, maybe actually it's my fault probably. So I have talked about a few case studies where basically I published hundreds of articles. I didn't find all the keywords in the beginning. I found like 20 keywords and then had people write it. Generally, it's gonna take way longer to have the content written and published than to find the keywords. It's pretty easy to go find like 10 more keywords, but it may take, even if you have a team of writers, it may take a couple weeks for them to write like 30 articles, right? So you don't need to find that many keywords all at once. I I would argue anyone who says otherwise. There's, there's no reason to find thousands of keywords. It's stupid, don't do it. Number three, starting social media media accounts. Depending on your niche, your skills, and your interest, social media may be a very supportive tool for your site, but you don't need to join 12 social media channels all on day one and try and fill them up with meaningful content. Yes, it's usually worthwhile to start a Pinterest account and start posting SEO-rich pins that will drive traffic to young sites. Little note, Christy did an awesome job with Pinterest and pulled in a significant amount of traffic from Pinterest right when she started her site. So she was getting traffic like in weeks. Most of it was from Pinterest in the early days, but slowly it shifted over to SEO traffic. And basically early on, that was the way the visitors found Christie's site. Social media visitors typically converted a lower rate depending on you know why they're there and sort of the reason they went to go check out the post versus like people searching on Google with buyer's keywords. Those are usually kind of a slam dunk. No, you don't have to create a YouTube channel, Instagram, a podcast, a Twitter account, a Facebook page. And a lot of people, Christy included, mistakenly thought that they needed to create all of those off the bat and post content to all of them, which is just not true. I usually recommend that you create the accounts. You can populate a little information for the profile, put a link to the website, and work on the one that you want to work on. I'm probably going to do you know one social media area for my new site. By the way, it's going to be built inside the course. It's not going to be you know publicly known, but inside the course, the students will be able to follow along. I just want to note that in case you're thinking, hey, I just want to follow along with Doug's site. Only if you're in the course, only if you're a student. Christie's lesson learned is to start a Pinterest account, educate yourself on how to optimize those keywords in Pinterest. Those are often related to, though different than the keywords that you target for your blog and Google. So leave all the social media channels out for later. And that's uh, what Christie noted. Like I said, I, I would still create them populate them to a minimal amount, and then you can work on the one that you wanna work on. Number four is writing everything yourself. Christy was a writer her whole life, and while well, she still is, and it's one of the ways that she makes a living outside of her niche site. 
And that made it really hard for her to delegate any content creation in the early days. She spent days perfecting every single post, which resulted in ultra, uber, high-quality content. And yes, quality is important. It's super important. And you may be an expert in your niche, and you maybe have a strong opinion about how the articles should be written and formatted and edited. No, you don't need to grind your site to a halt while you try and squeeze in a few hours from midnight to 2 a.m. to write the next blog post on your list. Instead, roll up your sleeve on some initial posts before bringing on other writers and get them to help on those initial topics, initial articles. Since every article can take eight to 10 months to quote fully bake, you know, that's her, her note. She uses that often in some of her, her writing for me. You'll be better off investing in writers and front loading the site with content. I learned a lesson several months in and I wish I would have hired help earlier so the bulk of my content would be several months older by now. The lesson learned is writing 10 to 20 posts yourself and then making them the best they can be. Then use the post as shining examples on how to train freelance writers who can take over some of the ideas and write the content for you. And if you're not sure how to manage and hire them, Christy wrote another post about how to do that. All the templates are included. And a lot of those templates are the ones that I or she started using mine and then improved on them and put a little bit more uh, detail because she was hiring more writers and wanted to keep a, actually I hired more writers, but she wanted to keep a tight, a tight hold on exactly what was going on. Pardon me while I, I drink beer. It's a good beer. Left hand, great brewery, not sponsored. Number five, Building your brand. My day job is marketing. So I wanted to go deep on my site's brand and the WordPress theme up front. Yeah, a quality name, logo, tagline, and and theme will help lend your site credibility to Google and to visitors. No, you don't need to be a professional marketer or web developer to create a decent brand and site design. For Christy, that part was actually fun and she has a brand name, a website, and she really loves all that stuff. However, none of those factors really impacted the early success of her site in a measurable way. If you enjoy branding and design, give yourself two or three days to create a name, a logo, and use a theme that you feel good about. Then force yourself to leave it be and focus on content. You can always come back and tweak your brand later. Yeah. That's totally fine with me. I was actually chatting with someone recently and they they were like, hey, I would have started a site. I have a great idea for a site. I know it, it could be successful. I'm an expert in the area. I actually have done a bunch of work on creating content and a course. And I, I just, I, I'm not sure about the logo. And he, he literally sent over the logo and I was like, dude, nobody, the logo is fine. Looks fine. Nobody gives a fuck about your logo. Um, People are trying to solve a problem. They're Googling how to do X or Y. And uh, they don't care if you have a logo. And they probably don't care what your logo is. And his look fine. It actually looked kind of nice. But it really doesn't matter. And I mean, I'm no branding expert. And I've probably made you know dozens of mistakes on my branding and the way I'm presenting myself. 
and my, you know, the stuff that I'm trying to do. But I think I've overcome that. And I think anyone can. If you focus on like, you know, good high quality content and helping people, then you're probably going to be okay. You're, I mean, I don't have a logo. I, I, in fact, I, I've selected on my, you don't know this probably, but on my theme that I'm using on niche site project, the blog, since I've had a blog started in 2013, I'm using thesis. I'm using as the WordPress theme thesis and the focus WordPress theme is sort of the layer that rolls on top of it. They're all together, but people probably know what I'm talking about. If you're familiar with thesis and the font, which I have selected, right? I have no logo. Number one, the font that I've selected is the quote system font. That means it uses the font that you use on your machine. So I don't even care what font you use. I just want it to be easy for you to read. And I assume you're using some font for your system <laughs> that you can read. And it just, it's the native font, whatever, whatever you're looking at. So I, I literally, I was like, I don't even care. I just, I want it to be, you know, the easiest thing to load, the fastest thing to load. And it, I want it to be familiar. So little tidbit there. Number six chasing every fun idea. In the early days, your brain will probably be buzzing with new ideas for your site. You'll think of cool new programs, new info products, social media campaigns, and so on. Yeah, be sure you capture all your ideas, even if you think they're dumb and maybe not going to go anywhere. I guess you wouldn't, you wouldn't get super excited about a dumb idea. <laughs> but just write it down in a list. Once you have a decent amount of content on your site, you could revisit those creative ideas, check out that list, and maybe rank them. Maybe you have some favorites. Maybe you, you realize some of them were dumb ideas. Don't bite off more than you could chew. Until you start getting meaningful traffic to your site, like a 1,000 visitors plus per day, conversions on info products or email list signups won't really be worth your time. And I agree with that. That's one of those things that I sort of recommend to people too. Once you get a thousand visitors a day, you get some, you get some uh, room to play, I think. The lesson learned is Christy notes, programs, info products, and campaigns take up a lot of time. It's better to wait until you can execute each idea well than to half-ass them at the same time you're trying to build up the blog and the content. If you can't help yourself, just pick one and chip at it away, ch chip away at it early on. That was, uh, that was my fault. It was written right here, but I am 100% guilty of this over and over again right now. I have several ideas and I, I tend to go after too many. I'm pushing many of them away. I, I am doing a better job pushing them away. And as I'm, you know, talking about starting that, that new site within the course, I realized that is a ton of work and, you know, I'm, I'm really looking for it as a long haul. This is going to be a long-term project. Again, something I'm interested in, passionate about. There's going to be plenty of monetization areas and different ways to spread the platform. So I feel good about it overall, but as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, I'm starting another project and then I'm thinking of other projects to run alongside that one, plus all the other stuff that I'm doing. 
So there's just, there's a ton of things. It is very easy. Again, I, I catch myself doing it. It's very hard, but if you can improve just a little bit, well, that's great. You've improved just a little bit. Number seven, setting up email campaigns. This is Christy talking here. She worked at an email software company for more than a decade. So her brain was hardwired to believe that creating an email list was super important from day one. Now, yes, building an email list can be a great way to market info products and affiliate products down the road, but you don't need to have that in place on day one. You could always come back and add those later. Once you're getting more traffic, it kind of makes more sense. I mean, the more traffic you have, the more people that will actually sign up. And early on, if you're getting like 10 visitors a day, it's probably okay if they don't sign up for the email list. It doesn't really matter. There's only 10. You're probably only gonna get like one out of, I don't know, 50 or 100 to, to even sign up. Now, Christy says she was more stressed out about having an email list and, and, the, and knowing that subscribers wouldn't receive any content. Um, actually, let me read that sentence again. I, I don't even know what she was talking about here. All right, let's just skip the sentence. Let's move on. Her lesson learned is to spend the initial time on SEO-rich blog content instead of trying to set up an email campaign and welcome emails and working with the integrations and trying to set up the autoresponder. Although once you, by the way, I, I love email lists. I'm probably going to start one pretty early on the new site just because I know there's going to be so much potential for that email list. And I've built many email lists. I know how to integrate this stuff. It's going to be fairly straightforward for me. So I'm not going to go overboard. I'll probably have a couple emails in the autoresponder, but it's going to be a you know secondary thing. It really doesn't matter a huge amount early on. Again, you're not going to be getting much traffic in those early days. I'm going to pause here. I'm going to, we have eight, nine, and 10 coming up, but today um, it's a warm day here yeah, this is just a total tangent. So stay with me. I put I put a lot of sunscreen on. I have pretty fair skin. I don't necessarily like burn so much with like just my my arms and, and legs and like exposed skin. I don't burn too much, but I'm fairly, you know, pale overall because I try and stay out of the sun, skin cancer and all that stuff. And the sun is super intense at the sort of higher elevation that we're at here in the Denver, Colorado area. It's at, you know, 5,000 feet up in Bozeman. It's about 5,000 feet as well. And the sun is indeed a little more intense. I think you get sunburned a little faster. In fact, it's just hot when the sun, <laughs> the sun shines. It's way warmer than, you know, when the sun's shining, I believe, uh, just, you know, if you're down at sea level. I didn't fact check that. Just That's just my impression. Anyway, so I'm trying to put on more sunscreen. And even, even when I put sunscreen on, it's like sort of, um, I mean, it it does its job, I, I guess, but maybe I don't reapply it enough. And it's just sticky and it, it's it's on you. And the reason why I'm mentioning this, the people on YouTube can see I'm, I'm so shiny. I've even, take, I've, I took a shower, right? I put sunscreen on, did some stuff outside, Great, great weather. It's it pretty nice, actually. And then I came in and I was just like, ah, I feel it on my skin. 
And I, I, I was like, I want to take a shower, try and wash this off. I couldn't, I, I'm still, I still have it on. It's like so waterproof that it's like still on my arms and I feel it. And the thing is, I have a bad skin too. I had horrible acne through, um, I guess probably like since I was like 12 to probably like my early 20s. I was on some of those uh, like high octane sort of drugs, Accutane for the other people who had acne back in the day, Accutane, which actually beats the hell out of your liver from what I understand. And I had to take it like three different times. So I'm actually, (laughs) probably shouldn't drink as much beer as as I do. But anyway, not, my skin sucks, basically. And again, the people on YouTube, it looks like there's dirt on my face. Those are just freckles. I have a ton of freckles all over my arms, all over my face. I'm just covered with freckles. And um, the sunscreen, it's hard to wash off, a little hard to wash off. And the problem is it, it like kind of clogs my pores up. Even if I try to, you know, I'm using like very you know good, sunscreen stuff that's not supposed to clog your pores it's still just like extra stuff and you'll you'll notice maybe if you look real close on those youtube videos sometimes you may notice like dude it looks like doug like put polish all over his face and like tried try to shine everything up typically that is sunscreen it's very sunny here in, in this area i think there's like 300 sunny days per year so even in the winter you really need to put on sunscreen. So like even throughout the year, like my face, it's just like super shiny. Plus I got the light going on. It's just been, it's just been a little bit of a struggle. I'm complaining about the sunscreen not washing off, but you know what? When I go deep into these weird tangents, often I get an email and it's like, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. So these weird, these weird tangents, um, number one, it allows me to vent in a way that doesn't have to bug my wife. You know, she doesn't care. She doesn't want to hear about this again. She doesn't care at all. (laughs) The other thing is there are other people out there uh, afflicted with all these freckles, fair skin, uh, potentially, you know, you get sunburned and stuff. So let me know, shoot me an email. We can all uh, feel bad about this together. Number eight, checking your traffic or earnings obsessively. And you're probably doing both. Self-discipline is an essential trait for any affiliate marketer, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Yes, you should make sure your analytics and your affiliate accounts are set up properly so that you can you know, check the tracking and just make sure everything's working. But you shouldn't log in every day, every hour to see your stats. Low traffic and earnings are basically part of the game early on is your new site's ramping up. That's hundred percent normal. And it could be like demotivational and you don't want to fall into that trap. Like you're looking, this is Doug talking here. You're looking at the lagging indicator. And those are, I mean, those are the results. Those are super important, but early on you have to be focusing on publishing content, you know, just getting that content out there. Basically we can go break that down further, but really publishing the content, that is what is important. And early on, if you, you know, set the goal, hey, I'm going to publish one article per week, like that's what you got to be focusing and focusing on. You don't need to be looking at your analytics all the time, reminding yourself that you're getting very little to no traffic in the first few weeks, which is just 
that's what's going to happen. So the lesson learned here is choose one day in time each week to check your traffic and earnings. Yeah, you can basically check once a month. That's or sorry, once a week. That's probably fine. And after a few months, you'll be able to see the upward trajectory that proves that your work's paying off. Number nine, optimizing for international visitors. And Christy really wound herself up over that. Back in the early days, her site was getting like 10 visitors per day. She, she became convinced that she needed to put on Amazon One Link. And Christy and I, we, I used to live in Bozeman. She lived like down the street from me. So we'd go get coffee and just talk about the site, you know, work together. I'd give her some, some tips and advice and all that. And um, I feel like I kind of remember her asking about, it. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I'm pretty, I know my answer was like, look, you're, you're getting like hardly any visitors. You're, you're definitely not getting any visitors internationally, or it's like one per every three days. Like you're hardly getting any traffic. Don't even worry about it. It is easy to implement, but like, who cares? Like, don't even worry about it right now. Come back to it in, you know, a couple months. And basically, um, she mentions Amazon one link, but I, I like genius link for that sort of work. Genius link is a, a paid tool, but it's a little bit more, actually it's way more robust than one link. And that is probably what you should be using if you are getting enough traffic from the international sources. And I, I think if you're getting like a hundred visitors per month, I recently talked to Jesse Lakes from genius link and yeah, about a hundred visitors per month from any of the given international associates programs, that's sufficient. So it is good to monetize that international traffic if you have enough, but probably in the first few months, you don't need to worry about it. Again, sort of the threshold is going to be about a hundred visitors per month. Christy says the lesson learned is to put a reminder on your calendar to check out one of the tools like Genius Link after three months. That way you can rest easy that you won't forget to do it, but you won't waste a lot of time applying to the international affiliate programs before you have enough traffic to drive the minimum number of purchases to be accepted. Yeah, so that's a key thing to note. You have to sell enough stuff and then you have to continue to sell enough stuff and I think it's uh, three orders per 180 days. And I think it's, you know, basically three orders in the first 180 days. So just wait until you're ready. Wait till you're ready. Number 10, this is a great one, doubting yourself. Feel like your site will never take off? Are you convinced you're pouring time and money into a dead end folly? Join the club. We've all been there. Yes, you need to be realistic about the time and effort required to make a truly successful site. It takes months, years, and even decades to build up a lasting authority site. No, you can't let self-doubt, a lack of patience, or other issues dissuade you. The sites are, in large part, leaps of faith. Creating a list of specific milestones and goals will help you keep motivated and give you reasons to celebrate the journey along the way. Commit, recommit, and stay committed. Celebrate the small victories like your first visitor, first sales, the first blog comment, and remember why you're doing it in the first place. Now, don't worry, we're talking about more stuff. She tells us a few things that are worth 
working on early on. I do want to comment a little bit about doubting yourself because I can tell you that it doesn't actually go away. I'm going to be starting that new site coming up pretty soon. I already know what the niche is going to be. I've done uh, no keyword research, but I know it's a rich, very rich industry. It's going to be fine. Again, I'm passionate about the topic and I know there's a full range of info products and physical products and products that I can create. And I mean, it's huge, right? It's huge. It's going to be okay, even though I haven't done keyword research. And I know, I mean, I've, I've seen other sites, so I know there's keywords out there. It's kind of crazy now that I'm talking about it. I'm like, ah, I didn't even do any keyword research and I already know what it's going to be. I already bought the domain, actually. Spoiler alert. I haven't mentioned that to anyone. I bought, I bought the domain already. And basically, it doesn't go away. When you're starting a new thing, you don't know exactly how it's going to go. I was chatting with um, one of my marketing counterparts, helping me put together the course. And... She, you know, she's done about six course launches or so. And it's just like, hey, I, we're nervous. Like, we don't know if this is going to work out as well as we hope. It's been a ton of work. It's more work than we thought. And we're, we're just a little nervous. And I've, I've launched multiple products. I can't even remember. I think I've done four courses or so, four separate different courses completely. And, um, I mean, I, I know it should, it should be fine, but you're still nervous. You're still nervous about it. And, you know, part of that is probably good. It adds a little pressure, a little healthy pressure for me to like do, do more to make sure it's a success. So basically it will feel like maybe it's not going to work out. And you know what? It might not work out. Some of my early sites didn't work out. You, you can actually make some catastrophic mistakes. It's kind of hard to do it if you're, you know, as long as you're not spamming your site and doing like some very sort of uh, unadvisable things. But the, I mean, generally people just quit too early. They quit too early. They're like, ah, you know what? I thought it was going to be easier and something else looks a little bit easier to me. And they think, eh, I'm just going to go do that. That looks easier. And as we know, anything worthwhile is probably not easy. If it was easy or cheap or whatever, everyone would do it. If it was like, if you could just buy a site and just, you know, send a, like send a couple services to go do some work and it was super easy, paint by numbers kind of stuff, then everyone, everyone would do that. It's just a little harder. There's a little more nuance to it. Okay. So here are the things where time is never wasted, creating quality content. At the time that Christy wrote this, her site was six months old and it had more than a hundred blog posts. And that's something that she's really proud of. And it took a lot of time and half those articles were written by freelancers. So putting time and money upfront to SEO content was a very good idea focusing on outreach. Now, this is a tough one and everyone kind of wants to skip it, but blog commenting, guest post, and outreach to influencers can dramatically improve your authority in general and with Google and just in the industry and in, in overall. So 
If you're a little nervous about doing it, if you're thinking, hey, I don't want to do link building, I just want to, I just want to, you know, put out content and I'm just going to ignore that. Don't think about it as quote link building. I'm not going to, by the way, um, I'm not going to think of it as link building. You will get some links out of it for sure, but I'm really going to approach it as networking because at the end of the day, you want people to link to your site, not because you wrote a guest post and you got to do all this, you know, extra work, but because they're like, holy shit, that is good stuff over there. I'm, I'm going to link to it because it makes me look better for linking to that because it's helping the visitor, it's helping whoever check it out. And if you do put in the time to do the networking, it should hopefully pay off. So networking, that's kind of the way you want to approach it, I think. Putting processes in place. So this is the last one. You don't want to recreate the wheel every time you publish a new blog post. Christy made a spreadsheet to track each of the smaller tasks that you have to do once a post goes live, like create three internal links to and from the new post and maybe put images, those captions, uh, links to you know other websites and so on, right? You could probably come up with 10 or 15 for something like that. The point is to document them, create a checklist, and then it's way easier to outsource it. That's my addition. So once you have the process in place, it will be much easier, much, much easier for you to hire someone to do the tasks that you don't need to do. In fact, one of those, um, actually it's kind of what she's talking about, like drafting a, drafting a job aid, drafting a post, um, or sorry, she's talking about drafting a post and I created a job aid way back basically documenting exactly what I do, what I was doing whenever I would publish a post. Exactly what she's talking about. So it's about four pages long. I can still use it right now. I could I could use it to this day to hire someone to format the content. And I've had multiple, I guess, editors, content managers use that. And I asked for feedback from each one of them. It's improved over time to the point where there's no questions. I don't get questions from people who, you know, are familiar with the, you know, if someone doesn't know how to use WordPress at all, sure, they may have some questions, but assuming they know WordPress, it's going to be fine. In fact, I've even told someone, hey, watch uh, like five videos or something on WordPress so you kind of know what's going on. And then basically you're trained. It's very easy to work on. I think that's it. That's it for today. This is a very good list. You know, we went over 10 items. I largely agree with the things that Christy was pointing out. I think there's probably a few areas where it does make sense, depending on what you're working on, to spend a little time on it. But if you're just starting on one of your first sites, then you may need to pump the brakes and really just focus on the content part. There's going to be plenty of areas where you think like, I really, I really need to build an email list. Um, the list is everything, blah, blah, blah. All, all those cliches about email lists. And yeah, email lists are great. I love them. And in fact, because I have built more than one side, I've built several, um, quite a few over the years, I know 
it will be fairly straightforward for me to go ahead and start capturing some emails early on. I'm probably not going to capture that many early on because it won't get that much traffic, but I will have the pieces in place because I, I kind of understand the top of the funnel. And for me, knowing that ahead of time is going to be valuable. Now, I hope I can grow the site pretty quick, but well, who knows? I don't know how it's going to, how it's going to turn out. Cause like I said, that item number 10, doubting yourself, not sure if it's going to work out. That doesn't go away. And I've talked to several of my peers and they're like, well, you know, I am doing a new site and like, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm not sure if it's going to work as well as I think. Typically it probably works out like just fine. It's going to be okay. And I'm not going to keep rambling on. I am going to top off my beer. Thanks for joining me and have a great day out there. If you're brand new to the show, by the way, thanks for checking it out. You can subscribe to the channel or to the podcast. I would love it if you did. Feel free. Please check out some of the success stories. Those are the most popular by far. Very inspiring. Check those out. If you dig them, you probably want to subscribe check out some of the other content and it'll be great to have you as part of the community. So I'm going to hit stop on both of my recording devices right now and catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.